we have um, employee engagement, 90% plus. That's in the top 5% of VC-backed companies. Look at uh, our diversity numbers. We are in 60 countries. We have 60% women in the organization, over 45% on the leadership team. We are intentionally building a company that is designed to prove that distributed work is better for your business, is better for your people, and is better for the planet. And it's so exciting, so exciting to do both, to build a high-growth tech company, but also design what it means to be human-centric in 2022. That was Oyster founder and CEO, Tony Jamis. And in this episode, it was great to sit down with Tony and talk all things remote work. We talk about Oyster's origin story, what led him to create the company, uh, what scaling it has been like over the last two years as the demand for remote work has surged, how he thinks about building a thriving culture with a globally and culturally distributed workforce across over 60 countries and much more. And we'll be right back with that conversation after a brief word from our sponsor. It's time to let go of past perceptions of HR. Amplify is a new model of agency designed from the ground up to support business and people leaders navigate the new world of work. We do that through two platforms. Our HR executive search practice is a new model of agency that moves away from traditional search models with our flat fee structure and advisory on the front and back end to help our clients attract and retain transformational people leaders. Our Amplify Accelerator is a unique platform to support continuous learning and build readiness, capability, and global networks for today's people leaders through cohorts, community, and resources to support their growth. Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com. Now, onto the show. Hey everyone, welcome to Redefining HR Podcast. I'm your host, Lars Schmidt, and today I'm really excited to sit down with Tony Jamis. Tony is the founder and CEO of Oyster. We're going to be talking about all things remote work, which is a topic that I know is front and center for all of you right now. So Tony, thanks so much for coming on the podcast. Um, I'd love to have you open with just an introduction for the audience. Hi, everyone. And hi, Lars. Thank you for having me here and uh, look forward to, to, to having a, an exciting conversation with you today on remote work. Uh, so a bit of intro about myself. So I'm, as, as Lars said, I'm the CEO and founder of Oyster. Oyster is a global employment platform. Uh, before that, I was the CEO of Nexmo, which was another technology hyper-growth company uh, in the API space that went public in mid-2016 and got acquired last year by Ericsson. I was born in Lebanon. I had this opportunity when I was a teenager to move to France and study computer science. Uh, and and that, that, that enabled me to really understand that you can have uh, an equal world opportunity in countries that really invest in their people. And that was it kind of influenced me to create Oyster as first and foremost to be a mission-driven company, uh, reducing the, the, um, the inequality when it comes to access to opportunity. So thank you for having me here. Yeah, well, I'm glad you're here. And I, I have a lot of questions for you. So I'm, I'm going to dig right in. And I know the, uh, you know, the topic of, of remote work is front and center for not just HR practitioners, but um, you know, the business world in general right now. And so before you started Oyster, um, did you have experience yourself with remote work? Like what, what, what was your level of experience and exposure with kind of remote working prior to founding Oyster? Yeah. So, so I was doing remote work without realizing I was doing remote work. 
uh, essentially, uh, my company Nexmo that I, I founded and led for eight years before before the acquisition was uh, we employed people in 45 countries and we had uh, an HQ in San Francisco and we had an HQ in London. And uh, I had like half of my leadership team in each part of the continent. And and then I, I, I was working remotely, but we did not have uh, the the uh, tools. We didn't have the methodologies. Uh, it was it was really inefficient, and I had to spend half of my time traveling between London and San Francisco, uh, and and that wasn't great, not only for my health but also for for the environment. And and I'm so glad. So I'm, I live today in Cyprus. I live in an isolated island in the middle of the Mediterranean. I can run uh, a hyper growth tech company from here, and it's working. I had exposure to remote work in the past, but now we're doing it more effectively. Well, I'd love to hear, you know, the origin story of kind of how Oyster came to be. Uh, you know, you mentioned uh, the mission-driven element of being able to create uh, more opportunities globally for talent. Walk me through the beginning. You know, your, your company was acquired. This was probably an idea that maybe was marinating, and then you decided you wanted to, to commit to building this. So what, what were the early days like for you? In our previous company, we, we employed people in 45 countries. We had to because we, were, we, we put a software on top of a, a globally fragmented and regulated telecom industry. What we did is we lowered the barrier to entry to innovation with APIs, and then boom, we created a new category. And we're doing the same today for global employment. But when, when we hired these people in 45 countries, I realized the power of being distributed. Not only you have access to a diverse talent pool, uh, but also you can, you can change people's lives in many countries. We would be like the best employer in Argentina for, for, for knowledge workers. But I was, I was really frustrated at Nexmo as the CEO because it, it would take us three to six months to set up an entity in a country. And uh, most of the time we would miss out on the talent that we wanted to hire uh, because they cannot wait six months or three months to, to, to be hired. And the experience would, like we could not, we would not expert in, in, in Moroccan regulation, employment law. We were not expert in France payroll. We had to, we made, we did lots of mistakes around that. So I wasn't looking forward to, to, to that, to that challenge. And, and when, when I, uh, decided I want to start a new business, it was important to me that it, it, it is a mission driven business because I came to a stage in my career where that's important. Uh, but also it had to be globally distributed because I knew we, we needed to make that impact. But I wasn't looking forward to that challenge. So, so I started looking for solutions. I did not find solution. What I found was an industry called employer of record that many of us here know. It's in the US, it's called PO, Professional Employer Regulation. It was $17 billion industry. Uh, it was service-driven, use of software. Uh, it was very expensive. You can pay up to 20% of the salary of the person. So it wasn't really fit for, for what I'm trying to do, which is global talent acquisition at scale. But, but, then, but then it connected my experience with Nexmo. It was like, okay, we have the same problem here. We have a highly regulated, fragmented market. We can use software to create that employment platform uh, and makes global employment as easy as local employment. So I could see how this could be a very big business very quickly because we would just open the floodgate for this global talent acquisition use case that wasn't possible before. But I said, why me? Why should I do it myself? It's really when I realized that if you if you remove the barriers in front of global employment, you can you can you can change the world. You can reduce brain drain. People like me, when I had to leave my home country in Lebanon, can stay back in their home country. Uh, they can they can earn more and they can bring back that that income into their communities. And then you break out that cycle of of inequality. Just to give you some data points, I mean, I get obsessed with that problem, that kind of macroeconomical problem. Uh, Brian Kaplan, who is the economist from George Mason University, in his book, Open Borders, 
He argues that if you remove the concept of borders from talent mobility, you can triple the world GDP. BCG is saying there's 90 million jobs going unfulfilled in the West. That's pre-pandemic. No, it's more. That's $8.5 trillion economic loss. At the same time, you have 1.5 billion knowledge worker coming into the workforce in the next 10 years. The biggest shift in, in worker demographics since the industrial revolution. It was clear to me in January 2020 that we had to build Oyster. And, uh, and that's what we did. And, and, and we started the business in January 2020 and, and, and the, rest, the rest is history. Yeah, and I mean, it's, it's the timing of that uh, is fascinating as it overlays, obviously, with the, the pandemic uh, and the acceleration, I think, into practices that we once called the future of work, you know, now we call yesterday, uh, as it relates to many things. But one of the large components of that, obviously, is, is remote and distributed hybrid work constructs. So what was that? Um, you know, obviously, I'd imagine January 2020, you know, you, you did not have a crystal ball around uh, the, the longer term impacts of COVID uh, and how that would change everything. Um, what was that experience like for you as you're, as you're building a company? I mean, usually when you're building a new company, you know, it's a, it's a steady kind of scaled growth that is, that could be intentional and thoughtful. And, you know, you usually have a plan for your first three, six and nine months. And I imagine the pandemic uh, and the demand for uh, support resources for remote work blew up those initial plans. So what, what was that journey like for you? Maybe like the, the first six months uh, of Oyster as you're, as you're just building the company while this huge spike in demand uh, for remote work uh, support resources is happening? Good question, Lars. And, and I describe it as not only play, uh, building the, the plane in the air, but still building the plane, building the runway in a hundred kilometer an hour air in front of you. Okay. So, so, so it is, it's been, it's been an interesting experience. So, so, uh, b because what you need to understand with Oyster is that we have to prove to the world that distributed employment is not only better for their business, but it's better for people and better for the planet. Otherwise we cannot, we, we would fail in our mission. So we cannot just hyper grow through, through burning out our team. We cannot just hyper grow through creating a, a very poor customer satisfaction. We have to build a strong foundation of the business and, and a, and I call it the golden triangle of, of, of hyper growth, where you have to deliver the growth, you have to deliver the customer satisfaction, you have to deliver the employee well-being and engagement. And, 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 the, and the name of the game is not anymore, you know, hyper growth at any cost, is how you balance these three variables. And, uh, and we've learned, we've learned so much through, through every, every quarter, we would be off one of these three variables. Uh, you know, we've grown too much this quarter than the employee satisfaction, uh, the customer satisfaction impact. Okay, let's, let's, let's see what we can do. Or, or we've grown so much in that area where we have some early signs of burnout in that team. And that through iteration, we continue to expand the surface area of that golden triangle of hybrid growth. And, and uh, I mean, just to give you some data, I mean, we have a 4.5 out of 5 rating on, on, the, on the employee experience of our customers. Uh, like even if you're hiring in your local market, in your local city, uh, it's really high to get 4.5 out of five. Imagine that you're hiring cross border through an intermediary like Oyster. That's like, like that's, that's top quartile. To give you another example, we have, um, employee engagement, uh, 90% plus that's in the top 5% of VC back companies. Look at, uh, our diversity numbers. We are in 60 countries. 
we have 60% women in the organization, over 45% on the leadership team. We are intentionally building a company that is designed to prove that distributed work is better for your business, is better for your people, and is better for the planet. And it's so exciting, so exciting to do both, to build a high-growth tech company, but also design what it means to be human-centric in 2022. You know, it's so interesting. So much in the world of work broadly is changing, but but much of it is kind of connected to freedom. And a lot of these new models that we have, including remote, remote work that give more freedom and flexibility to employees. Um, I'm curious, I know I'm, I'm asking you a question and you don't have your data set in front of you. So uh, I'm putting you on the spot a little bit, but are, as you look at countries where you're seeing higher spikes of hiring for remote workers, um, do any maybe surprising countries stand out to you or you're seeing a lot of your clients uh, invest in higher talent? The data is not surprising. They are hiring people where, where knowledge workers are in, in masses, right? So you look at, so, uh, uh, North Americans hire uh, in, uh, in, 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 let's say, U.S. companies hire in Canada. North American companies hire in Latin America uh, because of the time zone specificity. Some of them go to hire in Europe as well. So you have that North America-Europe corridor, and you have Europe-to-Europe Europe corridor, and then you have certain hubs such as Eastern Europe and India uh, that emerges in Australia. So so it's not, it's not surprising. Uh, we have... We have 25% of the employees under management on the platform are in emerging economies. And it's, it's trending kind of in line with our business, with our growth, which, is, which shows you that there's a high level of correlation between our revenue and our mission. But, uh, but our, our, what we want, we want two things. We want that 25% to become 50% two years from now, uh, essentially biasing the employment corridor north to south. And, uh, and secondly, we want the compensation gap you know, you can call it Jenny coefficient, which is measures the, the inequality of, of income in the world. If you apply it on the Oyster platform, we want that disparity between uh, a salary of the same role, same seniority in the North we, would be the gap with the same salary of somebody in the South kind of continue to close, right? That, that's a 10-year journey that we're on. It's interesting having access, obviously, to the data set that you do, you can kind of see how those trends change over time and kind of where you can directly work to, to influence uh, narrowing those gaps. Um, and one other topic I want to kind of get your perspective on is um, hybrid work, which I think if you look at uh, the majority, I would say, of companies that uh, had employees who were able to work remotely during the pandemic. So that's a subset of employees. And obviously we're, we're just speaking about that pool of talent right now. Um, but, you know, a lot of those organizations have made commitments uh, primarily with hybrid constructs. You know, some have moved to being fully distributed and remote. Uh, the majority, I think, are more in that hybrid. And I think hybrid, at least for the next probably couple of years, is going to be the, the default model for a lot of those organizations. And there's a lot of variance between what hybrid is. Hybrid isn't just one thing. There's lots of different tiers to it. But I'd love to get your perspective. Obviously, you know, running a fully distributed company uh, working with companies that uh, are, you know, I'm sure a mix of fully distributed and hybrid. What are your thoughts on on kind of hybrid versus distributed as working models? I don't have any like religious view of which is the better model. <laughs> right. uh, what I, what I believe in is uh, maybe you want me to have a religious view. I don't know. No, but, I don't. But, I, yeah, uh, I want you. I'm just curious to get uh, your perspective. Yeah. <laughs> what I, what I, what I believe in, Lars, is that. Uh, 
it doesn't matter as a model. What matters is you need to build a culture and, and systems and, uh, uh, and principles that makes people successful no matter where they are. Not because you go to the office that you get more visibility into the work. Not because you go to the office that you get promoted more than, than if you're not in the office. Not because your office that your productivity increases, right? So on these things, you, you have to create uh, inclusiveness and, and equality in the, in the business. And, and, and it's really through changing how you work together, changing the culture, and, and as importantly, having a commitment from the top. Like in my company, I need to be the best remote worker for it to work. Like it, it cannot, I cannot fake it. You know, I cannot, uh, I know it's going to be hard to change because of my age and my position, but I'm, I'm committed. I'm committed to becoming the best remote work CEO in the world. I, I will never get there, but, but that's the journey I'm committing to. Traditional HR and learning systems are largely rooted in legacy mindsets and practices. They're not equipped to keep pace with the dynamic times we've experienced since the events of 2020 and beyond. That's why I launched the Amplify Accelerator. The Amplify Accelerator is a platform for connecting, developing, and supporting the next generation of people leaders. Designed to support continuous learning and build capabilities and connections, the Accelerator helps modern people leaders build the necessary skills to successfully navigate this new world of work. The flagship of the Amplify Accelerator is the Cohort Program. These peer-based learning courses are designed to help you become a more confident people leader, armed with a new global peer community and a toolkit full of actionable advice, resources, templates, and more. Cohort students engage in a mix of synchronous and asynchronous learning designed to fit into the schedules of today's people leaders. You'll also learn from world-class guest instructors including Katie Burke, Caitlin Holloway, Pat Waters, Claude Silver, AJ Thomas, Tiffany Stevenson, and so many more. Ready to invest in yourself? Learn more at AmplifyTalent.com slash cohorts. You know, it's so interesting, too, because I think especially in remote organizations, um, having that, you know, you know, kind of optimizing the structure and the operating rhythms and cadences of leadership uh, and kind of role modeling that behavior, I think, as it, as it relates to like, how did you remote effectively? Um, because so it becomes so important because it gives the employees something that they, they can kind of look to and see the behaviors that they should be, you know, working on as well, which includes, you know, it's, it's the way they work, but it's also the way that they don't work. And, and that's, you know, a, a transition. I know that you, uh, recently had your third child. So I want to congratulate you on that. Um, but I know that you took time off as a CEO for paternity leave and getting back to that role modeling place, you know, CEOs. Uh, don't always do that, especially male CEOs. You know, the paternity leave is something that I think uh, certainly in the U.S., but also globally is underused. And so I'd love to just get your your perspective on, on you know, your, your thoughts on taking that full paternity leave, uh, not just for your family, but for, you know, kind of setting that example for the company. Just a history. My first child, I took two weeks. My yeah. second child, I took four. My third child, I took six. I'm going to stop there, according to my wife. But, uh, <laughs> but the major change I made between my previous company and this company, and, and at Nexmo, I, I was personally burned out. Uh, and, uh, and I didn't notice that much. Uh, and, and actually, what I noticed was that people around me were burning out. And uh, I, I have a commitment to myself and to the people around me that I want to, uh, as, as a leader of any organization, 
my focus is as much as doing impact is also reducing my my threat to others, right? So how can I reduce my, the harm I do to others? It is important that I model a way in when it comes to work-life balance. If I am being seen or perceived to be burning out, then they will assume that they expect them to burn out. So, so I'm very sensitive to that, uh, especially if you want to build, uh, if you want to prove that remote work is better for business, better for people, and better for the planet, we have to make it work for people. Uh, when I was taking my, my parental leave, I went back to the team and I asked them, how much do you think I should take? And, and they guided me toward that number and I took that number. And it was great. It was really great. What they helped me to put together a system where I could, uh, I could, I could take six weeks. I had two new joiners in my team, uh, my president and the chief workplace officer, uh, Ellen and, and Mark, and they were like joining the business. I could not just drop them. So I had one hour with each every week. We adopt a lot of asynchronous way of working and collaboration. So every Tuesday morning, I would, I would have one, one and a half hours where I would just watch all the videos that the team had prepared for me to keep, to keep me updated on the business. And I would comment on the videos. And that was it. The, the, the business uh, not only survived without me, but they thrived, thrived without me. And uh, what, was, what was interesting in my previous business, uh, I don't know if it's, you can conclude from anything. Every time I took some time off, which wasn't a lot, uh, the business would do better, like, and I would I would measure I would measure that, and 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 I was I was really intrigued. Like you know maybe I am in the way somehow, and and that led me to actually also uh, adjust my leadership style in this business to make sure that I'm, my ego is not in the way uh, of 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 people's success and and business success. Yeah, well, I mean, I, as fault to that, you know, how, how has remote work made you a better father, a better parent? First, what is good parenting? So, in my opinion, good parenting is being present to the children uh, and, and, and giving them the full attention. And, and, and remote work enabled me to, uh, to be able to do so m- much more frequently. Uh, so for instance, I have, a, I have a three months old baby, I have a two years old baby, and I have a six years old child. Uh, so in the morning, I spend my time with my younger children. And, uh, and in the afternoon, I have a, a 2, 2, 2 p.m. I go pick up my daughter from school and I spend an hour with her. And then uh, before they go to bed around seven, I also have a half an hour booked in my calendar. And, and when, I, when I'm with, and actually the weekend, so also on Friday, we have a, a focus Friday principle at Oyster where we'd have no meetings on Friday. And why? Because we, it's really the day where I want to clean up my inbox, focus on all the projects that I have to get done before the weekend so that when I go into the weekend, I'm not worried. I have internal peace. And therefore, I can turn my attention to be compassionately present to my children and engage with them. And, and, and that's how, how, how remote work, flexible work, this is more than remote work. I think, it, yeah. you know, whether, whether it's remote work or not, it's really about that. How can you protect your, your, your brain, your, your brain from not being anxious about work when you want to be present for your loved one? Okay, how do you create that uh, separation, the mindset separation? Yeah, I mean that's that's such a good point, and I think having the space to do that, and you're you're, I'm glad that you kind of pegged flexibility to remote because remote and isolation, if you don't have that flexibility, is is not you know that that's not creating those spaces and those those moments for you to be able to to kind of focus on the family time necessarily, especially if it is uh, a traditional organization that kind of looks at work in time blocks, right, of of nine to five or whatever um, kind of legacy structures might might exist. Like, like, Lars, the reason why 50% of my leadership team is women with children 
is because we enable uh, people, no matter of their situation, through flexible work to be successful, right? That's the commitment we are having. We're saying flexible work is more successful work. Yeah, unless, you know, I think one of the things that's interesting about, you know, kind of building and scaling uh, an organization like yours is you have uh, employees in dozens of countries, you're fully distributed, um, so you have lots of different, um, both geographic and cultural differences in your workforce. And so how do you think about, you mentioned kind of the, the golden triangle in terms of how you grow the business. How do you think about the, the kind of culture and, and people first side of the business uh, as you're navigating that, that complexity of such a, a globally and culturally diverse workforce? Yeah, I think uh, uh, business culture trumps uh, country culture. Uh, we've seen that again and again in my previous business and in, in this business, as, as long as you can create a strong culture in the business and you can reinforce it. Uh, so so we're, we're, we're really less concerned about uh, uh, geographical or, or nationality diversity because uh, uh, there's no dominant uh, geography or nationality in the business. So everybody is, 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 is here from, from 60, 70 countries. Uh, but, but you have to, you have to adjust your culture to enable uh, remote work to be successful. So for instance, just take an example, uh, not now, because you're not seeing people in the office, people, we, we, not people, we as manager, uh, we had a bug in our brain. We used to assess people's performance in their, with their presence. Also, we have, you know, since we left the, the, the factory, uh, in the factory, we used to monitor people on their presence and, and how many widgets they would create. We move, we moved to, to, to the office era, but we still kept that, 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 that bug, uh, which is, okay, I, I see you in your seat. Then, then I, I trust you working. Now we went to work from home and anywhere you don't have that physical uh, cue. Uh, then the, the first reaction of manager is to mistrust and, and that create a, a vicious cycle of underperformance, right? And, 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 and under engagement. So, so, so you have to reverse that. You have to change the chip in your brain and you say, okay, I want to measure you on output and results and, and not presence. Uh, but not all companies are ready to do so. You have to build an infrastructure that be able to measure clear results, uh, and have a clear expectation in your business. So we spent, also we spent a lot of time. Our OKR, objective key result process, that start with the company and trickle to the individual level is the equivalent of a company of 5,000 people, although we are 500 people today. So we've over-invested in these systems and processes. Th that's in terms of culture that it needs to be result-driven and not presence-driven. So, so this is not like specifically for remote work. This, any business that adopt a clear framework of defining what success looks like and how do we measure results on the company and an individual level will do better. That is better management, period. Now you could get away with it in the office if you didn't have it. Now you have to do it and you have to do it really well. You have to commit to it. Secondly, so this is one. Number two is really around having clear uh, principles. How do you work together? And that becomes part of the culture. So we obviously we use asynchronous way of communication and collaboration. Uh, obviously every company would have its own flavor of it, uh, its own mix of tools and rules, we call them. And, uh, and, and you need to invest in training people and you need to invest and reinforce them. We have a program called the Oyster Academy that we train people on our own unique way of doing asynchronous work. And, uh, and by the way, we've, it's, it's open source and everybody in the world can come and uh, take that class. It's designed for both a remote worker to become a better remote worker, but also to the people function 
to 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 essentially deploy a remote work program training in their in their in their, in their companies. Um, so that's that number two is ru- the rules and the tools, and number three is you want so you want to be very deliberate in creating opportunities to build trust because trust is harder to build in a, in a, in a, re- in a virtual environment because you don't have the person in front of you you're missing these these emotional cues that comes with physical presence it's harder and it takes longer to build trust in a virtual environment and therefore you want to be deliberate about that so as part of our values at oyster is to build trust uh, I do I do check-in meetings with my team. I don't, I'm not checking in on their work. I'm checking in on them, how they're doing, because they were able to update me asynchronously ahead of time. So 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 these are just examples of of ways uh, of building trust uh, in, in the business. Every business would have a different approach, but essentially you have to be deliberate in building trust. So number one is is, is culture driven by clear results and, and clear expectations. Secondly, is uh, about uh, having the uh, the tools and the rules, uh, and, and, and reinforce that and train people for that. And third is to be deliberate in building trust. Yeah. I love the way that you're so intentional about thinking about those three pillars, because I think that they're all so important. And I think as far as companies, especially now, like a lot of companies that were, you know, hybrid into remote initially were by necessity and they just ported their co-located operating systems and their office-based operating systems to digital. Uh, you know, now this is, you know, this is a new way that we are working. And I think companies are getting much more intentional about asynchronous work, uh, moving away from some of those kind of legacy approaches of, you know, measuring productivity by butts and seats and those, you know, things that just aren't relevant to this new world that we're in. So um, I appreciate the way that you've kind of laid that out thoughtfully. Um, Tony, I've really enjoyed learning about your, your journey and kind of what you're building with Oyster. Um, we wrap up every episode with a lightning round to just help the audience get to know you uh, a little bit better. So you ready to jump in? Yes. Yeah. All right. So, uh, we open with music. Uh, if I was looking into your Spotify or whatever music playlist, uh, what would be some of your top three artists that I would learn about? Uh, so there's Brian Crane. He's a, he's a classical music uh, guy. Uh, Brian Crane. That's, that's one. Uh, and there are other two that are, I would say, in the same category. So Peter Cutter and Snatam Kaur, uh, they, are, they are both very, uh, I, I call it spiritual music. It helps me in, in staying more present in, 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 uh, in connecting with, 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 with something bigger uh, than, than we think uh, it is. Uh, so, so these are the three top artists in, in my Spotify. Okay. Um, I am going to uh, shift your career. So uh, I know you've been a CEO a few times over. You can't be a CEO anymore. You've got to do something else. Uh, what do you think you'd be doing? Yeah, I thought I thought about it since the war broke in, in Ukraine. Uh, I, 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 I realized that I, I want I want to be a peace activist. I have I, I, when I was born in Lebanon, I grew up. There was a civil war. It has impacted all my life. Uh, and and, uh, and and I, and I realized so when when the, when the war in Ukraine started a few few, a few weeks ago. Uh, I realized, okay, I, I don't want to do my job. I want to go in and save the world. And, and then I realized that actually, uh, uh, it's maybe, um, like what, what can I do, right? Like, what can I do, uh, to, 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 to save these people? And, and it was a pretty, pretty sad moment to see that I feel helpless in, in, in uh, in, uh, in, 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 in trying to avoid a, a world where humans kills humans or kill life. Is, is, is any life is, uh, uh, is, is a pretty, um, tragic for me. Yeah. And I just, uh, on that note, I want to, um, you know, give your team, um, some kind of, 
you know, props and recognition for um, the post you put out um, the day after the invasion, because, um, you know, after the invasion, I was curating some open source resources and communications to try to support the HR community and HR leaders and businesses, frankly, who are navigating um, this war. And, and you uh, put out a really, you know, you oyster, put out a really thoughtful post on how to support employees uh, in Ukraine. Um, and so that that matters, you know, the, those those resources, those those statements, uh, you know, the ability to help um, the HR community in a meaningful way support employees who are in an unimaginable situation uh, in Ukraine. Um, that does matter. So I just want to, you know, make sure that you know that that's that is was appreciated uh, and that does make a difference. Thank you, Lars. Uh, last question for you, Tony. Who would be uh, a a business leader? It could be an HR leader, but when I uh, usually this is questions around HR leaders, but when I speak to CEOs like you, I kind of scale this to uh, business leaders as well. Who would be a business or HR leader who you admire and why? So, uh, so the, the, this guy is called Hamdi. He's the CEO of Shobani, uh, the, the, the yogurt. Mm, uh, yeah. The yogurt. I, I just stumbled on his TED talk recently, the anti CEO playbook. And I really liked it because he put people at the center of the business. Also, it wasn't a technology business. It was a yogurt factory. And, and, and these principles of uh, like, like when, when we go do our, our MBA at business schools, uh, we are uh, told that we should look at the world through spreadsheets and numbers. And uh, while that's useful, sometimes it actually creates a much more uh, it's a narrower definition or a view of the reality. And, and, and we tend to forget that actually at the end of the day, it's about people. Uh, and the way he, he articulate that is, is, uh, has been very inspiring to my journey. Well, Tony, I really appreciate you making time to come on the podcast, share your story and your journey and, um, you know, wishing you and the Oyster team all the best. Thank you, Lars. Great to talk to you all. Thanks for tuning into this episode of Redefining HR. For more information on the podcast, past episodes, future guests, the Redefining HR book, or free resources, be sure to check out redefininghr.com. And if you dig this podcast, why don't you share it with your CEO, your executive team, and your friends to help them discover what Redefining HR is all about. If you really dig this podcast, I'd love for you to leave a review on whatever podcast delivery vehicle your ears prefer. See you next week.